The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. So, man, I'm excited about uh, this weekend. Let me, let me ask you guys this question real quick. Um, how many of y'all know, knew coming into the weekend that this was going to be a purity retreat, like a relational? Awesome. Very good. Man, that's cool. That's really cool because, you know, this, the, to- the things we're going to talk about, um, man, they're not easy to talk about. And a lot of times there's, there's a lot of, you know, I'll say it this way. Typically with guys, we're okay talking about the things that we're going to discuss as long as we're joking. If we're just messing around joking, we'll talk about sex. Or if we're, honestly, if we're just being like the world. If we're, if we're talking about sexual things the same way that the world does. And by world, I mean, you know, our culture, the things that we would see in TV and movies and the way that people who don't love Jesus and don't follow Jesus, the, and they're just completely given over to their sinful desires, the way that they talk and think and joke about sex. And so it's sad that, man, in the church, in the church of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, if you're following Jesus, if he, if he has rescued you from sin and death and hell, and you're trusting in Jesus to take you to heaven one day, like, we of all people, man, we, we should be able to be open and honest with one another. There, there shouldn't be anything that we're afraid to talk about. But, man, a lot of times with, with the, the idea of, of sex and sexual sin, there's a lot of embarrassment and there's a lot of awkwardness. And, and so, I, man, I just want to start by commending you, man, for coming to a retreat like this. And commending is like, I'm proud of you, compliment you, good job. That's what that means. So, man, it's good. It's good that you're here. And if you didn't know that that's what this was about, um, gotcha. Uh, <laughs> glad you're here, man. It's going to be awesome. The Lord's going to teach you stuff. Um, so let's do this. Let's, let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Okay. Lord Jesus, love you. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy in the gospel. God, thank you for your good design, your good creation. And, uh, we confess that, that we have brought the sin to the table. We have brought perversion and corruption, uh, but we thank you that, that you knew that and that you plan to bring redemption, and that, that, that we could be redeemed for all of eternity, and that our sexuality could be redeemed. Um, so Lord, I, I pray that you'd give us clarity of thought. I pray that we would all be submissive to your word. I pray now that you'd calm my nerves, and allow me to think clearly and correctly, and that I would speak what is true from your word. Um, God, we confess that we need you. In Christ's name, amen. So, says, man, how, how does the Bible begin? How does the Bible begin? Does anybody know? In the, in the beginning, what? God. God, right? In the beginning, God. And then, yeah, God created. There's two things that are really important there, right off the bat, and I think it's, it's good to start here for this session, is, yeah, in the beginning, God. And what that does, if we understand that, if we believe that, what, what that'll do for us is establish God's authority over our lives. That, that, we, that everyone, every human being needs to see 
that we were all created by God, that we don't have our own authority, that we're not here by our own design to run our life how we best see fit, that we were made by God and for God. In fact, the scripture says we were made by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is our God. He's the one who, listen to me, he spoke creation into existence by the word of his power. Super impressive, right? None of us can do that. The power of his word, we can't create anything, right? We can invent things. We can, we, we can, because we're made in the image and likeness of God, we can show that by being creative, but not, not the way that God's creative. He spoke everything, everything into existence when all there was was him, just by the power of his word. Man, and he made it, and he made it for his glory, for his honor, for his name. And it's good, man. He made you and me in his image so that we could enjoy him forever. That's why you exist. Did you know that? There's a fancy way that, like, really smart people back in the day said it. They said the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That means that, man, God made you so that you would see God for who he is and worship him. And then he made you in such a way that when you do that, listen to me, please listen to me. When you do that, you'll enjoy life in a way that otherwise is not possible. You were made to worship. You were made to worship God. And here's what's crazy, is our sexuality is part of that. It's part of that. God, this is God's design. God's plan. Right? This, here's a secret. It's a secret. God made sex. God made sex. It's his plan. It's his good design. Now, like everything else, when sin entered the world, sin brought perversion and corruption and death. So everything, every aspect of the world has come underneath this curse. It's been all twisted up and messed up. So as human beings born into sin, born in, not only born into sin, like with sin being in us, but we're also born into this sinful world, on our own, we are not going to think or feel or act rightly when it comes to sin, when it comes to sex, I mean. Really anything, but specifically for our weekend, man, our sexual desires that are so strong. And so, but what happens in the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, is that Jesus is a redeemer. Jesus, listen, Jesus takes what's broken and perverted and sinful and destined for destruction. Jesus takes that and he fixes it, saves it, he heals it, he makes it right. That's our hope. See how our hope in the gospel and the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, I mean, that's for our soul for all of eternity, but it's also for our lives here and now. The relationships we have with one another, our purpose for even existing, all that has been redeemed by Jesus, including your sexuality, your sexual desires. Here, and, and, and again, I mean, this is stuff that even in the church we kind of feel embarrassed or weird to talk about. But the reality is that God gave you sexuality for your pleasure, to enjoy. 
a good thing. It was God's idea to make Adam and Eve and put him in the garden without any clothes on. And he said, that's good. It's good. In fact, he said, this is very good. And he told them, hey, you guys be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That in that first marriage relationship, he gave them sex to, to reproduce, yes. And to enjoy one another, yes. To serve one another, yes. And ultimately, what Paul, this guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he said, man, I'll tell you this crazy mystery. Marriage and that intimate relationship that happens in marriage, it's really a picture of the gospel itself. So it is a good and pure and holy thing when it's lived out in God's design. So it's pretty important. Does that make sense? Sex is a big deal. It is a big deal. So no doubt, that's why the enemy attacks us there so fiercely. Satan can't create anything. He's a created being. But what Satan does is for everything that God has made and has made good and holy, Satan makes a counterfeit. Y'all know what a counterfeit is? It's a knockoff, right? It, 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 it's a perversion. It's a cheap imitation. It's not the real thing. Like, um, I've got three kids. I, got, I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a about-to-be-6-year-old boy. So my oldest two are girls, uh, which is pretty cool. I, I got to hang out with my middle girl this weekend. Uh, well, I guess it wasn't really. It was the weekend for me. Um, Thursday, I took her to Alabama. Go Alabama. Not the football team, but the state. Um, <laughs> just to clarify. Um, I took her to Alabama because their hunting season still, it, it actually ends Sunday, which is fantastic. And it was like 70. And so she's eight. And I thought this will be, this will be a good time for her to hunt. And she killed her first deer. And this has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just bragging on my eight-year-old daughter. She shot her first deer. And 20 minutes later, she shot her second deer. It's awesome. Both high shoulder. They dropped right where they were standing. Never ate again, took another step. It was beautiful. Um, anyway, so I got these kids, and, uh, man, you know how, um, so we, we, we've got Netflix. We don't have, like, cable or satellite. We're, we're too cheap for that, so we have Netflix. Um, and you know how, like, a movie will come out? Especially, I think, with kids, like, cartoon movies, a movie will come out, and then they'll, like, in five minutes, somebody will make a counterfeit of that movie. I remember it real clear, because uh, my oldest two are daughters, um, where uh, that movie with the singing ice lady, Frozen, thank you, you were helping me out, uh, Frozen came out, and I remember, man, my girls loved that movie, and then all of a sudden on Netflix, I mean, seriously, like two minutes later, there was this, uh, it was called, I forget, it, but it was like The Ice Princess or something, and and they got so excited because, you know, they just loved that movie. They wanted to see more of that movie. And, we, and it, they watched it, and it was horrible. It was so cheaply made. It was just, it, it was bad. It was just this counterfeit, right? It wasn't the real deal. Man, and what's sad is for us is that we bite on that bait all the time. That that was from the beginning, our first parents, right? They bit the bait that, the, and the lie 
that God's plan and God's design really wasn't what was good for us. And we bit into that lie. And that's what brought sin into the world. And we do the same thing day in and day out. We bite into the lie that, man, that what the world has to offer, what our sinful flesh desires, is better than what God has for us. And it's always a lie, and it always brings destruction and death. Always. So for us, and it's so important, we've got to constantly renew our mind to the truth of what's really good. And so I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles or you're taking notes, um, or if you're just really good at m- remembering, it's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. While you're turning there, I'm going to read you this quote. It says this, God is calling you to stop squandering your life on short-term guilty pleasures in order, listen to this, think about this. Don't get this picture of God as this angry, all-powerful being in heaven with lightning bolts, like just waiting for you to mess up, like as if he's designed the world as a bunch of little traps just waiting for you to mess up so he can zap you. Get that picture of God out of your mind. Is he just? Yes. Will he punish sin? Absolutely. But listen to what this quote says. It's so good. God is calling you to stop squandering your life on short-term guilty pleasures in order to experience a life of deeper pleasure and joy. Did you hear that? Not primarily so that he, he can destroy you. No. He wants you to stop the sinful behavior so that you can experience real pleasure and real joy. He's good. Our God is good. Man, he loves us. Loves us. He made us just so, listen, God did not create us. He did not create you because he was bored or lonely. That's not why you're here. He made you so that you could experience his glory and be eternally satisfied as you experience joy and pleasure in that relationship. Man, he's good. We've got to start believing that. We've got to start believing that God is good, (laughs) that Jesus really does love us. Otherwise, we're going to keep biting into the lie that, man, this world is going to satisfy us. We're going to keep biting the lie that to do it our way and what feels right in the moment is going to bring joy and pleasure. So, y'all with me? Sweet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Okay, so he's talking to a group of believers, and he's saying, man, y'all received the gospel, and you received our instruction, okay? And he says, you got to do this more and more. And he's talking about, like, our growing in the truth of the gospel, our growing in what it looks like to walk in this way. What does he mean by walk? Some, y'all see that? What do you think he means by walk? Have a little swag in your step? What's he talking about? 
a way of living. Yeah, exactly. It's talking about the way that we live, right? the way that we think, our, the intentions of our heart, how we speak and how we act. He's like, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, then you should be growing more and more and more in the instruction of the Lord. So he goes on, and here's what's cool, because we can please God. Listen to me, you can please God with how you live. You can please God with how you live. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. Isn't it funny, like, people act like the greatest mystery in the universe is, why are we here? Right? It's like the greatest, like, philosophers have spent their entire lives contemplating this. And Scripture tells us, remember, man, we're here to glorify God, to worship God, to know and love God. And listen to what he says right here. Here's God's will. You want to know God's will for your life? He's telling us, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger, and all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This, verse, this passage is pretty packed full. So he's about to lay out, or he has, he's laid out for us his design for sexuality, and he's telling us what to abstain from. With my imagination right now, I saw, like, thought bubbles appear before all your heads, and most of them said, oh, no. <laughs> he's going to tell us a bunch of stuff we're not allowed to do. Here's what's awesome. You know, God doesn't just issue, like, rules for no good reason. Sometimes parents do. Sometimes schools do or camps. I try not to do this as a parent. I find myself doing it. I just, I'll tell my kids no. And one of our rules in our house is our kids are allowed to ask why. Like, if they ask to do something and I say no, or if they're doing something and I tell them to stop it, they're allowed to ask why as long as they, they do it in an obedient attitude, right? Like they can't slump their so shoulders and go, Ugh, why or why not? But as long as they begin to obey and they say why in a respectful way, man, that's good. That actually helps me as a parent because sometimes they'll ask why. I'll say no to something. They'll ask why and I'll go, oh, because I'm selfish and that seemed inconvenient at the moment. And I just made up a rule for no good reason. Do you ever feel that way when somebody tells you no? And so I'm, my kids are allowed to ask me why. And because if I'm parenting well, I should be able to tell them, here's a good reason. Either it's for the good of like the family or what's about to happen, or it's for your best interests. Like, no, son, you can't juggle knives. Why? Because you can't even catch a football yet. 
and I love you, and I don't want you to bleed out. Not an actual conversation, but I can imagine it happening. Right? It's for his good. God's like that. God's, God, he's a good God. He doesn't just issue commands for no reason. There's a good reason, and at the heart of it, at the heart of it, is God's desire for our good so that you can enjoy and experience life to the fullness, so you can experience pleasure and joy for real, not the cheap counterfeit. And so what's awesome in Scripture, whenever God lays out rules, it's always preceded by the good things that God has done for us. Like even in the Ten Commandments, right? Like if you're thinking about rules in Scripture, our mind goes to Ten Commandments. Before God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, you know what he reminds them of? How he called them to be a people and how he rescued them from Egypt. And it's on this awesome relationship where they should trust. God loves me and has, he, he really does want the best for me. And then he gives these rules that aren't meant to keep us from experiencing joy and pleasure, but are given to us so that we can experience real joy and real pleasure. It's the same thing here. Don't hear in this passage a bunch of oppressive rules to keep you from life and and experiencing sexual pleasure. See in this passage real freedom so that you can experience real sexual pleasure the way that your body was designed to experience it. So he says this. Let's see. So this is God's will, your sanctification, your sanctification. So our sanctification, all that means is like when, when God saves you, right? Like when you become a Christian, that's the start of your salvation. And then your salvation continues all the way to the day that you die or Jesus returns. And that's called glorification when the Bible says you're going to see Jesus for how he really is and you'll be made like him. It means like your sinful flesh will forever be put away with. You won't even desire to sin anymore. And in the middle between becoming a Christian and the day that we're finally fully made like Jesus is this thing called sanctification where we're day in and day out being made more like Jesus. That's the end goal. And God has promised that he, he started this work in you and he's going to complete it. Day in and day out, he's making you more like Jesus. So this is God's will for your life, that you be conformed to the image of Jesus. And then he gets real specific and he says, man, especially as it relates to sexual immorality. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain, right? That you keep away from sexual immorality. So here's, here's the term, sexual immorality. That was funny. You fell asleep forward and he fell asleep backwards and y'all bumped heads. That was perfect. I'm so glad I got to see that. <laughs> you nodded this way and he went, bam, oh, oh, trying to sleep here, dude. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, was I saying something? Yes, sexual immorality. Thank you. So here's this term, all right, because a lot of times, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, I think this is kind of a common way for us to think, is we start thinking in terms of, I mean, how much can I do, right? Like, how much sexual stuff can I experience before it, like, crosses too much of a line? And so God's really gracious, 
And he knows us in our sinful state. He knows us in this flesh that will invent all kinds of ways to sin. And so he doesn't just make, otherwise the Bible would be this super thick book of just different ways that we could sin and God say that, that's wrong. And so in his grace, he gives us this term that's kind of like this catch-all phrase for sexual sin. And it's basically everything sexual, every sexual thought or intent or action that's outside of covenant marriage between a man and a woman. Everything outside of that falls into this term that we get sexual immorality from. So this would be adultery. This would be homosexuality. This would be pornography. It's actually the, the, where we get the word pornography. So looking at images or videos of either naked people or people having sex. This would be masturbation. This would be playing out sexual fantasies in your own mind. It would be inappropriate, any kind of sexual touching between you and another person that you're not married to, who for everybody in this room would be a woman. All that falls underneath this term. God's saying, this is my will for you, that you become more and more like Jesus, your Savior, and that you abstain, you stay away from all of this. Why? Because God's mean and doesn't want us to have a good time? No, because he knows what he made you for. Your body was made for sex, but listen, it was made for sex inside of covenant marriage. Anything outside of that will bring brokenness, it'll bring destruction, and always death. Death to a relationship. So let me time out right here and say this. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, you're, I, I would just imagine that you're thinking, this crazy, what is he talking about? <laughs> Why would I not experience these things? And I, and I want to tell you this. And this, is, this is talking to Christians. But I want to say this to you. Man, you, if you're not a believer there's probably not conviction or like a guilty feeling when you sin sexually. Probably not. But I want you to know and I want you to hear that that's not freedom. That's not freedom. The reality is if, you're, if you haven't been rescued by Jesus from sin, you're a slave to these things. You're not free to just enjoy them however you want. You're enslaved to your sinful desires. And they, those chains are wrapped around you and they will hold you in place until the day of death and judgment. And your greatest hope, in fact, your only hope, is that you would cry out on Jesus to forgive you and to save you. To rescue you from eternal punishment. To rescue you from the power of sin that has a hold on you. So, I mean, I, I get it why you would think this sounds crazy. Man, but I want you to hear that you're in desperate need of Jesus to rescue you. Before you can start to even think about sex rightly, you need to see the world right. There is a holy creator God, right? We said the Bible starts with the assumption of God. In the beginning, God created. And even in this passage that we read, it's assuming and, and really talking about the authority of God over our lives. You have to see, man, 
You're, you're not your own guy. You're not your own man. You were made by God and for God. And we, and I say we as like every human ever, we rebelled against that. We decided we didn't need God. We didn't need his rule, his authority. We decided he wasn't really good. And that's where sin came from. And if you haven't cried out on Jesus to forgive you and to rescue you, man, then you're still enslaved. Man, and, and I beg you this weekend to man, come to Jesus. And if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, man, and your claim would be that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, I mean, right now you might be battling. As we talk about these things, you might be battling, and I don't know if I can give up looking at porn. You might be thinking, I don't know if I want to. And I would issue a strong warning to you. Strong warning. Because I think the room's probably split. Some of you know, like, I hate my sin. Some of you feel that. You feel when you sin, you hate it. And you carry around this guilt and shame, and you want to be free. And let me tell you, that's, that's a good place to be. For some of you, man, you might be giving over to it so often that you're cold. Your heart is cold. And you're thinking, I don't know if I can give it up. I don't know if I even want to give it up. And you need to hear a warning. And that is not how a Christian responds to sin. That at our core, as a Christian, as at our core, we want to obey Jesus. Because we love him. Because we love him. Because he first loved us. Because Jesus was willing to lay down his life to save you from sin, including the sexual sin that we commit. He was willing to have his back ripped open by whips. He was willing to allow them to push a crown of thorns into his skull. He was willing to have his wrist pierced to a cross so that in order to breathe, he had to push up on those nails and pull up on those nails until he no longer had the strength to do it. He was willing to do that to rescue us because he loves us, because he loves you. Which the physical suffering in the cross isn't the worst thing about the cross, is it? It's the worst thing about the cross. The separation from God. Do y'all, do y'all know the story, remember? And Jesus didn't say, I think he said like seven things when he was on the cross that we have recorded in Scripture. And one of them is this gut-wrenching moment when on the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, God in human flesh, the second person in the Trinity, Jesus on the cross cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember that? Because for the first time in all of eternity, God the Father turned his back on his Son, removed from fellowship with his Son, so that Jesus could become your sin, so that Jesus could become guilty of masturbation and, and looking at pornography and adultery, and homosexuality, and all that sexual immorality means. Jesus became guilty of it, and God the Father removed himself from it so that he could punish Jesus in your place. Why? 
Because he loves you. Because he loves you. So that Jesus would be separated from God so that you and I would never have to be separated from him again. So if you're a Christian, if that's our hope, if our hope is that, yeah, Jesus did that for me and then he rose again in victory, if that's who we are, then yeah, we love him back. And listen, there is no, there is no such thing as a salvation where you get saved and one day you get to be glorified in heaven with God where there's not sanctification happening in the middle. Did y'all see that? If you checked out, check back in. There is no salvation where you say a prayer one day and get saved and then live however you want and then you get to go to heaven and be made like Jesus. That salvation does not exist in the Bible. The only salvation in the Bible is where Jesus saves you and then he begins to conform you to his image and one day you'll be made like him. And that being conformed to his image, it doesn't mean sinless perfection. It means you're gonna fall. You're gonna mess up. God's gonna reveal sin in your life. But as a Christian, our greatest desire is to please the Lord, is to confess that sin and to abstain from it. That's why for some of you, man, you're struggling and you fail sexually and you are grieved to your core. You hate your sin. And if you're not there, I'd say, man, warning. You need to examine your heart this weekend. And do you love Jesus? Do you know his love that would free you from that sin? From the punishment of it? But then it's power over your life. He says that we have to learn how to control our own body in holiness and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles. So in this process, when when God's sanctifying us, he's making us more like Jesus. He's saying specifically here with sexual desire, you and I are going to have to learn how to control that, how to bring that into submission to God's design and God's will for your life. You're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to do this on purpose. I don't know. I've heard Brody, the guy who's going to preach tonight, if you don't know him, I've heard him say this a lot. I don't know if it's original to him or somebody else. Just make sure I give credit. Uh, I've heard him say a lot. I mean, no one drifts into holiness. Right? No, no one drifts into becoming like Jesus. Doesn't like happen by accident. Right? Just like no one drifts into like getting in really good shape. Where do people drift? <laughs> Fat. <laughs> right? Like yeah, obesity. We drift into laziness, right? If you're, if you're going to, like, be, you have to be intentional. If you're going to exercise, whatever. It's the same thing with our souls. Like, we have to be intentional here. And God's saying, yeah, like, learn how to do that. It's going to take time and effort. We're not made to do it on our own either. This is a community effort. It's a community effort means you're going to have to be willing to talk to people about this aspect of your life. We'll, get, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a second. The awesome thing is, like Jesus is calling us to a fight here. Do you see it? This is a fight. This is a fight. Your sexual desire can be so strong that it can feel like there's no way out of it. Most of us have probably never really truly been hungry. 
Like, I think there's been times in my life where I've been really hungry, but I've never been starving. Like, I've said that, right? Oh, man, I'm starving. <sighs> Haven't eaten, like, one hour. Right? Most Americans, we really don't know that type of hunger that just, I mean, drive you to whatever extreme. You'll, you'll consume anything to satisfy that desire. I mean, it, and if we're not intentional, our sexual desire will crave satisfaction like that. So th- there's a verse in the Bible in Galatians that says, if you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you'll of the spirit reap everlasting life. And he's saying, yeah, like, you know, if you're feeding your flesh all the time, it's going to be what's strongest. And, and we need to be aware, man, if we're, if we're going to do this, if we're going to honor God with our lives, if we're going to experience sex the way that God designed us to experience it, man, we cannot be feeding our flesh false ideas about what sex is. We can't feed our flesh sexual desire. So, man, some practical things here is man, there's some stuff that we're going to have to avoid, some things that we're going to have to avoid that feed our flesh. I think... Um, I mean, a lot of times, man, we don't, we don't just go right to falling into sexual sin. We can. It can happen in a moment. But a lot of times, man, it's like this fire that we slowly start building. We've got to be careful. We have to be on guard. And we're not going to drift into holiness. We'll drift into sexual sin. So we've got to pursue holiness intentionally. So that means that there's going to be some things that we do on purpose and some things that we avoid on purpose. Some of those things that we need to avoid, man, is any kind of sexual images, any kind of sexual content that that excites and kind of ignites that fire in us. We gotta stay away from it. I mean, I, I'm married, dude. I've been married uh, like twelve years, twelve years, and, and I remember, uh, I remember before I got married, there was I was a single dude and I was in the fight. I was in the battle fighting for purity and there's times where it was really good and times where I was getting my tail kicked man and I hated it and I remember talking to this married guy one time and he said man marriage ain't gonna fix it if anything it makes it harder and I was like what are you kidding then what's the point and I don't man maybe that was just for that guy because for me getting married has helped a ton this has been awesome my battle now with sexual purity, I still have to be engaged in the battle, but it's not like it was before I got married because I'm experiencing God's plan for sexuality. And so like one hope out there, this is not like a tunnel with no light at the end of it. As a single dude, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's God's will for your life to enjoy this. It's a gift. But man, I remember that battle. I remember that fight. It's so intense. And to know, yeah, yeah, there's hope. But it is, man, it, it, it's a battle. And so even for me now, I've got to be, and I would say even more so, but the reality is the things that are on the line for me are on the line for you right now. It's just not as clear to you. Here's what I mean by that. I'm a pastor um, at, of a church, and I, I work here in ministry. I've got a wife and three kids, and I could destroy them all by falling sexually. If I gave in to watching pornography, 
I could lose my wife. I could destroy not only my daughter's view of me, but my daughter's view of themselves. I could lose the respect of my son, or he would, even scarier, he would look up to it and he would follow that pattern. I could be removed from my church and hurt a lot of people that I've ministered to. Lose my job here. It's all on the line. If I were to give in and to look at pornography, and I, if I did, I absolutely should step down I'd be disqualified. I'd hurt my wife. I would cut my wife so deep that I don't know if it it would be a miracle if she ever trusted me again. That kind of betrayal. If I I committed adultery, and Jesus says they're the same thing, by the way. Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. If I gave in to those desires ruin so man i I see it like i i I look at my kids i look my daughters in the eyes i've heard men say this is sobering i've heard men say that because of their addiction to pornography that they have they can't they don't know how to have a relationship with their own daughters because because they're female and they so train their mind to only look at females as sexual images does that make you sick I hope it does man it makes me sick the thought that I couldn't hug my daughter kiss my daughter hold her without some kind of pervert that is crazy no one goes there on purpose right right how many of y'all when you're a little kid I know am I being random I'm being random but hopefully you're tracking with me anybody when they're a little kid my son's, I told you he's five, he's about to turn six. So my, my father-in-law was a defensive uh, coordinator for the Chiefs for the past six years. Um, he's not anymore because they fired him. But uh, <laughs> that's the NFL. So my son's like the last, this past year, has been more aware like just watching football. And so he loves Patrick Mahomes. Do y'all know who Patrick Mahomes is? He's really good. It's, it's stupid how good he is at football. And so my, th- my son was actually, before Patrick Mahomes, was throwing the football pretty well. But now he's awful because he thinks he can throw from any angle at any time from anywhere, and it's just ruined him. But, but he assumes he's going to be, my, my five-year-old son assumes, Bradley, my five-year-old son assumes that he's going to be an NFL superstar. It's awesome. You know what, you know what I don't do? No, son. You're a Conti. You're going to max out. Maybe you'll surpass me, and you'll actually be 5'9". I've been lying about it since I got a driver's license, but maybe you'll hit it. No, man, let him, let him dream that dream, right? I remember being a kid. I thought I was going to play Major League Baseball, right? And then, then it was like I remember being a little kid, and I would practice army crawling through the house because I wanted to be a soldier, right? Did you ever do that? Do that? Have those kind of dreams? Maybe you're dreaming you're going to be in a rock band, movie star, politician, president. Anybody when they're five, six-year-old like have fantasies about bad stuff for your life? I know. When I grow up, I'll be addicted to meth. Anybody say that? I know. What's your dream, little Timmy? I want to I be divorced multiple times and be estranged from my children. Timmy's not saying that, right? 
I want to go to prison. <laughs> We're going to have a one-on-one letter. <laughs> right? No, no one desires those things. But, uh, okay, joke aside, do people end up there? Yeah. Do people end up addicted to pornography, sleeping with prostitutes, losing their family, having affairs, abandoning their children? No one ever started a family saying, I want to be a crappy dad. But people end up there because that is where we drift. So you and I have to fight and pursue. That's why the Bible uses language like, man, train and discipline your body like an elite athlete, like a soldier going to war. Be focused. Be intentional. Right? Patrick Mahomes does not eat the same things I eat. Why? Because he's got a goal. He's, he's got this focus of being this elite Super Bowl winning athlete one day when hopefully Tom Brady d- retires. Not the other alternative. <laughs> retires. Right? But we've got to have this single-minded focus of pursuing holiness. And it is a battle. It's a fight against yourself primarily. And so... Yeah, just like an elite athlete is not going to have a carton of ice cream at night. Like, man, there's things that you and I are going to have to avoid if we're going to pursue holiness. And it's a much bigger deal than what physically goes into our body. I mean, so this might seem crazy to some of y'all, but this is real. And if it seems crazy, it might mean, and here's a warning, it might mean that you're more influenced by the world than by the Bible. Because there are, there, there are mu- there's uh, t- types of music I will not listen to. There's TV shows and movies I will not watch. And they may, they may not even have naked women in them, but I won't watch them because they're sexual in content. And I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. If there's sexual content, it's going to awaken desires in me that aren't holy desires for my wife to glorify God. It's going to awaken desires in me that are sinful. And that is the path that leads to sexual immorality, pornography, masturbation, sexual fantasies, adultery. And I don't want to step foot on that path. And a minute ago, I talked about what's at stake for me with my family, with my ministry. And I said to you, those same things are at stake for you even now. Because here's the deal. You're going to be somebody's husband someday, someday, most likely. Most likely, percentage-wise, you're going to be somebody's father someday. And if you're following Christ, you will be in ministry, whether you get paid for it or not. The same things. You are just a younger version of your future self. Is your mind blown? Time, space, continuum. You're just a younger version of who you're going to be. Listen. And the attitudes and decisions that you have now are building a character. You're setting a pattern and a character for yourself for who you're going to be one day. Those same things are at stake. You have the opportunity now to live for God's glory.
to please God with how you live and to build a character and a pattern of living that'll sustain a marriage, that'll sustain a family. But it's got to be intentional. You've got to fight. So yeah, there's going to be some things that you absolutely avoid. Absolutely avoid. Are they wrong in themselves? Yep. A lot of times, yes. Sometimes, no. But, but man, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Distracts me from my pursuit of Jesus. It awakens desires in me that aren't good and holy. So I avoid it. But that's only going to work. Listen to me. That's only going to work if on the other side I'm pursuing hard after Jesus. So I'm going to work if I'm pursuing hard after Jesus. Listen to this quote. And this is for this from uh, for pastors in here. Um, what's this guy's name? Uh, David White, Sexual san- Sanity for Men. Man, I just recently read it f- in preparation for this awesome book. Really helpful. Um, S- David White, Sexual Sanity for Men. Says this, Freedom is not total deliverance from temptation, which is what we wish it would be. Freedom is the increasing ability to choose holiness out of love for Christ despite the relentlessness of temptation. This is the hard truth, but the blessing is that we receive more of Christ as we are committed to the fight. I'm going to read that again. Y'all pay attention. Listen to the words. They're in English. We can get this. Freedom is not total deliverance from temptation, which is what we wish it would be, Freedom is the increasing ability to choose holiness out of love for Christ despite the relentlessness of temptation. This is the hard truth, but the blessing is that we receive more of Christ as we are committed to the fight. We pursue Jesus. What does that look like? Sounds cool, right? Pursue Jesus. Go hard after Jesus. Know Jesus better. What does that look like? And it's going to look like you dedicating yourself to meditation on the Word of God. Meditating on the Word of God. Filling your mind with Scripture. Listen to me, no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to holiness. Meditate. Memorize Scripture. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And sometimes just read large portions of it just to get it in your mind. Let it wash over your soul. Sometimes, man, slow down and just focus on a verse. Fill your mind with scripture. Spend time in prayer asking God for your help, for his help. So some of you maybe feel frustrated because you feel like, man, I've asked God for help. I'm trying to read the Bible and I just feel like I'm getting my butt kicked. So keep fighting. Keep fighting. Read more scripture. Spend more time in prayer. Put scripture to memory. And something else, very practical and, listen to me, very biblical. I I said earlier, this is a community effort. You and I were not made to live the Christian life alone. That is not God's design. God's design for the church is that we aid, we help one another in what it means to follow Jesus. It means you need real accountability. Really, it means you you need to be discipled. So I challenge you push you and if you want to walk in victory in this area yeah man you need to be in scripture you need to be in prayer there's things you need to abstain from and you need to find a godly man somebody who's older than you 
a little bit further down in life, you need to find a godly man and ask him to help you, to keep you accountable. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel weird. You need to do it. You need to do it. You, just, you need to find a godly man who you can look at his life and say, man, he loves his wife well, treats his kids good. He loves the Lord. You need to ask him to help you. Hopefully it's your parent. Hopefully it's your dad. Student pastor, somebody in your church. Some old man that lives next to you, sits on his front porch and drinks sweet tea, filled with wisdom, the life of following Jesus. That'd be awesome. Say, I will cut your grass if you'll if you'll hold me accountable to following Jesus. Actually, if some of you want to move to Andrews, I'll hold you accountable if you will come over once a week. It's a good trade. Man, it's, it's a battle. It's a fight. We're, we're, we're not made to do it alone. You need to get help. I've been going for 50 minutes, so I'm, I'm going to stop. But I want to say this real quick. I know it didn't feel like 50 minutes to me either. Um, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer, and you're, you feel this battle, man, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. This is the lie that sexual sin will will satisfy. That that yeah, we we identified that. The lies of after you fall, the lies of when you've messed up. Don't believe the lies that man you just can't have victory, that you're so dirty that Jesus won't forgive you, that you've messed up so much now that man you might as well just keep going with it. There's no hope. Don't believe those lies. Listen to me. I said it earlier. Jesus was rejected on the cross so that you would never be rejected by God again. Here's the deal. Jesus' victory is your victory already. The Bible calls you holy and blameless because you're in Christ. Because of what Christ has already accomplished, God sees you as holy and blameless. That changes everything. So now you have the ability to walk in that victory, to live out that victory. And when you mess up, know this. When you fall sexually, know this. God loves you just as much in that moment as he did when he hung bleeding naked on the cross, experiencing wrath and separation for you. He loves you just as much. And his grace is just as powerful to pick you up, clean you up, forgive you, and move forward. Got to believe that. Don't believe the lie of your flesh that tells you it's too late, you're too far gone. Not for Jesus. Not for Jesus. He loves you. The, and, and the Bible says that nothing in this world can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He fought the war. He won the war. Now we're, we've got this little battle called the rest of our lives to wage alongside of him by his power. It's going to exhaust you, but it's by his power. And you will, if you're a child of God, you will finish strong. You will. You'll pursue him to the end because he's able to keep you. If you're not a Christian, man, please, please. I hope you have a great weekend. I really do. I hope you have a great weekend. But I hope you don't leave this property before you talk to somebody about what it looks like to truly follow Christ and surrender to him so you can know real forgiveness, real freedom, God's purpose and design for your life. Pray with me. Lord God, love you. Thank you for this time. 
I thank you for these guys and their, their patience and listening to a long message. And I pray that you bless them for it. I pray that you bless them with strength to fight this battle, to be victorious, to live out the victory that you've already given us. I pray that they would pursue hard after you for your glory, that you would protect their future marriages and families by how they choose to follow you right now. I pray that you bring the lost to life. God, that you, in your kindness, you'd lead them to repentance this weekend for your glory. God, we confess that we love you and we need you. In Christ's name, amen.